Welcome in. This is your Friday scramble for January 21st, 2022. I'm Rick Gaiman. That right there, Andy Lack. Andy, hey, bud. Hey, man. How's it going? Happy, uh, happy Friday, my friend. Happy Friday. Yes. Is there anything better than a Friday? No. And even somebody like me and you who have non-traditional jobs where sometimes the, I, I know my days of the week based on the golf calendar. And I yep. think 99% of the public knows their days of the week by a different calendar. But I still love Fridays for many obvious reasons. Yeah, it doesn't matter to me. Friday, Tuesday, Monday, they're all the same. But uh, like people people are friendlier. People are more excited on a mm -hmm. Friday. There's this, there's this good vibe. You know, everybody's like, oh, you know, answering emails and feeling good about themselves, knowing they're not going to have to deal with it for a couple of days. This, it's, it's the day. Friday's the day. And from a golf perspective, on Thursday and like Friday morning, I feel like I'm tracking so many players and so mm. many different, of course, this doesn't, this doesn't actually end up being the case this week because we have a 54 hole cut, but I like that feeling on Friday afternoon when the round is over. It's like, okay, these are the horses. Like these are the guys that I really need to follow. These are, these are the one or two lineups that I really need to keep my eye on. Whereas Thursday, it's just a, Total crapshoot. Yeah, Dominic in the chat says, Friday is the moving day of life. That's one very good way to look at it, Dominic. And Andy, if your schedule is kind of predicated by the golf tournament, which I completely understand, are you concerned that you will be thrown out of whack next week when we go Wednesday through Saturday? Yes, very much so. And I, yeah, it's going to be problematic. I have... And both of us are going to that tournament as well, which that's the type of thing that sets me back for the next week too. It's a lot of logistics that I will need to uh, figure out. But from what I've heard, we're keeping our schedule the same other than we're going off an hour earlier on Tuesday and Friday. Correct. Instead of 12 p.m. Eastern next week, uh, both will still be Tuesday and Friday, but it'll be 11 a.m. Eastern. That will give us a little bit of wiggle room and allow uh, us to actually get to the golf tournament a little bit earlier, which I think is good for everybody if we go take in if we go take in some live golf. So going an hour early, of course, it'll be available on replay. I assume is no big deal. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I have no problem with that. Beautiful. Well, we are in the midst, and I'm watching it over here on, on the screen. I've got one of the four ESPN Plus feeds going on for the American Express right now. And one round in the books, Andy. And we have guys who are technically at the top of the leaderboard. Lee Hodges, Patrick Cantlay. But I would argue they're not actually leading the golf tournament. Yeah. Because, for example, I think that the stadium course was playing, what, two strokes harder than the other two yesterday? About two strokes, yep. Sure. So if you if you went, if you went shot five under on the stadium course, let's say, that's probably just as good as seven under at La Quita, right? If not better. Correct. Yeah. So the real leaderboard, as I would like to call it, using the strokes gained metrics, uh, KH Lee actually out front because he shot a 64 eight under par at the stadium course, which is 7.2 
strokes gained on the field. Lee Hodges, Patrick Cantlay, they shot 62s. They're 10 under. They are technically higher on the leaderboard if you go to PGATour.com, but a 62 at La Quinta is only 7.1 strokes gained. And then there's a pretty big gap. You know, the, the 65s at the stadium course, they're next. So it's really Lee, Lee, and Patrick who are uh, who are really the best, who were the best players yesterday compared to the field. Is Lee Hodges on your radar, Rick? I, I feel like I'm pretty plugged in to everyone on the PGA Tour and have and like an encyclopedic knowledge of random golfers. Uh, I've never really came across Lee Hodges in my in my numbers or my research. Well, okay, so I I know who he is, right? Like he played in that uh, national championship where Oklahoma State. Uh, I think it was against Alabama, smoked Alabama. Hovland, Victor smoked Lee Hodges yeah. in the final. He's been, he was good on the Corn Ferry Tour, too. Yeah, he was good. I think he was like top 10 in, in their points. He won once in their, they had that huge season. Like they did, like their 2020 and their 2021 season were basically one giant season. He won an event in, I think, Portland. But yeah, I mean, he was solid. But when you look at the very small sample size that we have, when you said he's not on my radar, it's like, I, I took that from the fact that he's like the skill, the skill profile that I would hope to see from these up and coming corn fairy guys does not necessarily match Lee Hodges. So I, I'm, he's certainly on my radar, but I'm not particularly excited about him. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. That's probably a similar reason to why he hasn't been really popping up statistically for me. Um right. I like this question in the chat a lot. Rick, do you ever bet live golf outrights? If so, what criteria do you use? I assume who's playing well, TD Green, but hasn't popped with the putter yet. I get this question a lot, Rick. So what's your answer? Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll, I'll give my thoughts on it as well, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, okay. there's a lot okay. of ways to, to figure this out. <laughs> Sorry, I was, kicking it, I was kicking it to you first, but I, I'm, I'm happy to lead off. Um, I think the most obvious way to go about it is to look at players that uh, have hit the ball very well and haven't putted well. But I would... I would err. I, I would have some caution about that too. I, I think that everyone knows that that's what you're supposed to be doing. And sometimes like the sports books know that too. So one thing that I try and really consider is what's a player's baseline. What was my pre-tournament handicap of that player? Right. So for example, if Luke Lest has a day where he loses, I don't know, 0.2 strokes putting in round one. That's great. <laughs> you, you know? Yeah. It, it's like that. That's not even, you could even argue that's maybe a slightly better round than his baseline. There's no reason that he is going to uh, improve on that. So I think you really have to, you can't just blindly look at who, who gained strokes ball striking and who lost strokes putting. I think that you have to uh, also look at what their baseline was and kind of consider their pre-tournament stuff. Yeah. If Patrick Cantlay is, you know, gaining two strokes putting, like that's not, super outrageous. He's a very good putter. We've seen him get hot. If Hideki Matsuyama does it, it's a completely different story. So you do have to understand what the golfer's baseline is. I think the big, the big whiff that people make on live betting, and I'm, I've been guilty of this myself, is I see a number that's a value and I'm like, oh my God, you know, so-and-so shouldn't be 30 to one or 60 to one, or the metrics are saying that 
you know, he's one or two hot putting arounds away from contending in this thing. There's an actual point of being like, can this golfer win? Like, can this golfer actually win this golf tournament? Like I'm looking at Joseph Bramlett, who's 33 to one right now and Mm -hmm. shot a 65 on the stadium course. I have uh, Joseph Bramlett in my like big single entry lineup. So I'm hoping that he goes on and wins this golf tournament, but I would argue his 65 at the stadium course was better than the 64 that Cam Young had at La Quinta, any 65 that was at the Nicholas tournament course. Like that's undervalued. Like he's being undervalued to me, but can Joseph Bramlett actually win this event? And I think that's where I've started to try to draw the line more recently. Yeah. I don't, I don't end up doing a lot of live ads. Like sometimes if I will, sometimes if I'm in a, perfect hedging situation and you know i have my guys in contention on sunday but i I just think there's there's so much that can happen and there's so much variance in 18 holes of golf that it's you know it's it's tough to it's tough to gauge sometimes and also i'm already often like by thursday and friday and saturday of the week i'm already often looking ahead and Hmm. starting my research to the next tournament because i have my sunday morning show Um, But yeah, I I think the biggest mistake that I would say is don't just blindly look at um, who's hitting the ball well and who's not putting well. There are a lot more factors to consider. I do often save some bullets uh, for live betting, but I would my my absolute favorite time to get in live is uh, before the final round. So when there's Mm -hmm. when there's one round to go and everything has kind of mostly shaped up and you're trying to determine how many guys you know, how far back can actually get there, what the odds are for the guy in the lead uh, to get it done. Like the, I, my favorite time to live ad would be Saturday night or Sunday morning before the events, before the yeah, starts. I, I, I agree with that. And the other thing to consider, it's like Patrick Cantlay right now is plus 200, right? And it's like, does Patrick Cantlay look absolutely dominant right now? Of course, is he Probably by far based on pedigree and what we saw in round one, the most likely player to win this tournament, of course. But if you're betting Patrick Cantlay plus 200 after a Thursday round, you're chasing. You're chasing a little bit. Maybe if you want to say if he makes a bogey and you see him get a little bit closer to his pre-tournament number, which I think was nine to one, maybe someone goes on a run. But you have to also be cautious of like, am I buying on this guy at his absolute high point? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, I think it's valid. Speaking of Patrick Cantlay and the dominance that he's been on now, 20 consecutive rounds in the sixties, which is a PGA tour record, Andy. And that's not in the strokes gained era. That's not necessarily super impressive. You know, it'd be, it would be more impressive if it was, um, you know, 20 rounds at major championships or something like that. But the fact that it's never been done before in PGA tour history means we are basically in uncharted territory right now for Patrick Cantlay. Do you think that, do you think Cantlay is a star? Like what, what's your percent? I'm curious about what your perception is of Cantlay, because I think he's a very, I think he's a very interesting golfer to talk about. I've heard some takes Rick go as far on Patrick Cantlay as like this guy's 
not good for the game because he's not charismatic. And if Cantlay just wins every tournament, like that is not what the PGA tour wants. But then you, you know, at the Ryder cup, I, I, I feel like if you actually spent time listening to his interviews, he's really thoughtful and really well-spoken. Um, and obviously you get to see a little bit more personality of him recently when he went on that run at the end of last year. So where, where do you kind of play? How do you feel about Patrick Cantley at this point? So in this moment, January 21st, 2020, in this moment, I believe he is a golf star, meaning yeah. on the golf course, he has absolute top five player in the world upside and hang there for a while because of how great he is across the board. Now, the well-rounded aspect of his game and the lack of charisma, as you already pointed out, it's going to be hard for him to be like a an off-the-course superstar. Like, like Bryson sure. does something sexy. He bombs it, right? Rory, the driver. Like, uh, you know, Ricky's just like the popular guy who just grew up riding dirt bikes and all that stuff, right? Like, there are, there are things that people latch on to in terms of popularity that I think are going to be very, very hard for Patrick Cantlay to reap the benefits of. However, it, it feels like he's coming out of his shell a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the Ryder Cup stuff, all the pressers, you just don't see it on the golf course, which is where the vast majority of people are, are watching him. So I, I kind of split the line golf, golf on the course. He answers every single question off the course. He's pretty boring at the moment. Yeah, he not to get back into uh, NBA player comps, what we were doing yesterday, but he's got Ooh. like a little Kawhi Leonard in him, too, where That's he kind of it seems like he kind of just goes to the beat of his own drum. But on the course, he has a very uh, robotic mentality. Uh, 1.5 majors, Patrick Cantlay, over or under. I think he's not he's, been good in majors. At all. Is he 30 yet? Let me check. Well, let's see. Patrick Cantlay, wiki. That always gets you there pretty quick. He is he's 29. He was born in yeah, 92, so he'll turn 30 in March. Um, he's entering his golfing prime basically. And I would take the boy one and a half majors. I mean, think about the guys who have one major, right? Um, I'd like to say the over because I'm that like, I'm that bull. I'll take the over. I'm that bullish on him as a golfer. He like, it's the advanced metrics are phenomenal for Patrick Cantlay the way that he does it should allow him to be contending a lot, right? He's not reliant on one thing. Like you would think he'd be piling up top tens in majors. I know we haven't seen that, but I'm I'm very interested to see how his four cracks at it go this year. Yeah. And I think these are, by the way, I think these are really good major venues for him uh, this year specifically. I think he has the type of game that can do really well at the Masters. I think he has the type of game that can do really well um, across the pond as well at, at the open championship. He, he's kind of like Rom in that sense, a little bit, Rick, where I almost feel like the fact that he is not the best in the world at something, but he's doesn't really have any weaknesses. Maybe, maybe that hurts him a little bit in terms of what he's known for, right? Because he's just yeah. so solid across the board. A couple of guys that are, or at least have not been solid on Thursday, Phil Mickelson and, and Matthew Wolf. Uh, Wolf and Mickelson both shot 
a 78 on Thursday. And Phil has already bogeyed uh, his first hole of the day on Friday. So he is now alone in dead last. I mean, I know these guys are volatile. And I I, I know for a fact, Andy, I have said this week about Matthew Wolf. I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if he finished first. I wouldn't be surprised if he finished last. I I didn't mean actual last place when I said that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think I think the thing with Wolf is, and we talk about this all the time with Rom, right? And Wolf is a little bit of the inverse. It, the way that Wolf swings, if he if he gets the club in the right position, um, he's pretty hard to beat. Like we've seen stretches of incredible play, but. He also has a motion where it's easy to get off track sometimes. And if he doesn't have that club in the right position during the downswing, it can go really uh, bad in the other direction for him. So I I think it's that's what's baked into it with Wolf. He falls into that category as Cameron Champ and Siwoo Kim, right? Where when they have it going well, they really have it going well. And when they don't have it going well, they don't have it going well, which I think a lot of people kind of have gotten to the point with Wolf where I'm just going to, if Wolf's like 33 to one, if Wolf's 40 to one, like I'm going to bet an outright on him. And maybe that's my only Wolf exposure for the week and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, the exposure to Matthew Wolf, um, I mean, he's not the only one of the expensive golfers who has kind of you know, ruined some lineups through just 18 holes. So of the nine most expensive golfers on DraftKings this week, four of them are even part or worse. Tony Finau, Taylor Gooch, Corey Connors, Matthew Wolf. If you go down to Will Zalatoris, he's only one under. Cameron Tringale is two over. So there, there has been some carnage this week. And our friends over at CutSweats.com, as of right now, as of this Friday morning with guys just getting out on the golf course, the six of six rate is only about two and a half percent. So they're, they're going to need maybe 36 holes of, of rebounding from these guys to, to find their way to the final day. Yeah. What, what's more surprising to you, Rick, the wolf six over or the Connors three over Connors three over by far. I mean, like I, I, Connors has, has been historically, uh, just a top 20 machine, very, very consistent, kind of the, the polar opposite of Matthew Wolf, who does stuff like this. So I'm I'm not surprised at all about Matthew Wolf, though it, it it is not going to benefit me financially. I'm very surprised about Corey Connors, and I have no dog in that fight. <laughs> Connors and Wolf also kind of providing some cover for Finau, who shot even par at La Quinta. Like, that's yes. not great. Yeah. No, I mean, and uh, I mean, there's a lot of guys. I mean, Ricky Fowler was somewhat popular this week. He's kind of slow out of the gate. There's the the good news is there's 36 holes for them to kind of figure it out, but they might be too far back at this point, Andy. What do you, so what do you think now with, with a 54 hole cut? Do you think that what's your, what's your point, right? Like what's the point where you would cut off this is a wager that I would make if this guy is I, like three under, maybe two under for like an outright. Yeah, that has a real chance to be in the mix on Sunday. Yeah, that's probably right. Three under, and hopefully they've played the stadium course. Is like the ideal is like the ideal scenario. I mean, what John Rom did, which was just six under, uh, gained three shots on the field, didn't make any mistakes. Like that's super dangerous. But yeah, I think mm-hmm. if you can get because especially if you played. Let's see. If you played, if you shot like three under at the stadium course, you gained 
basically two shots on the field. And now you get to go to the easier courses and try to pile up those 63s and 64s that we've seen out there. Like that would, that would be probably where I'd cut it off. And there's just so many guys. There's so many, like the minus threes are at T54 at the moment. <laughs> yeah. So like Scheffler is kind of right on that line. And I think he shot three under at La Quinta, which isn't great. Not um, great. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's probably where I would draw the line to. It's it's so I mean, there's 59s on this course, um, which yeah. is the thing. So I mean, I, I that's what makes it tough. But I, I would agree with you. I think if you got to be heading into the weekend, hopefully you're within five or six, and hopefully Patrick Cantlay doesn't just absolutely run away with this one. Whew. Boy, he might. Okay, um, I want to talk about some comments that Rory. McElroy is made. I want to talk about Akshay getting into the winner's circle on the Corn Ferry, but we're going to take 30 quick seconds here and be right back. Remember, Andy Lack is not only the co-host of The Scramble, but also produces his own show, The Inside Golf Podcast. It's available twice a week focusing on course breakdowns, DFS, and betting strategies for every PGA Tour event. Admittedly, I was drawn to Andy for his data-driven approach, which you'll find on his Sunday shows as he breaks down the field, but I'm even more impressed by his passion for course architecture texture which offers a different perspective of our great game mix those two together with insightful and humorous guests who don't take themselves too seriously and you've got a recipe for a great podcast follow inside golf on twitter and download inside golf wherever you download podcasts all right andy rory mcelroy as he tends to do when he when he makes a comment we talk about it rory is the unofficial he's like the unofficial ambassador the unofficial players union rep like right like he's he's the spokesperson for the players Mm -hmm. yeah he is you'd you'd agree with that yeah the chris paul of golf we're just gonna keep going with this all day that'll be like our new thing yeah yeah comping these (laughs) comping these nba players any chance that we get uh this is not necessarily tour related but rory mcelroy said that by caddying him caddying for an amateur he could knock five to ten strokes off by just carrying your bag and being there for support and strategy. Um, I'll dive into his comments a little bit more, but your initial reactions to Rory thinking he could take that many shots off an amateur's game just in course management alone. Hot take. I agree with them. I I I agree. Have you ever had, what's your, have you ever taken caddies before? Like, have you, have you had a lot of experiences where you've played golf with a caddy? I wouldn't say a lot, but probably more than the average person. Sure. Um, okay. And, and uh, I agree, completely agree. When you yeah. have a caddy, especially on a course that you are not familiar with, it, it is night and day um, how, how different your scores can be. Yeah, because I, I'm with you. I, I typically, I haven't had a ton of experiences with caddies, but I've had one or two times where um, I've played a different course for the first time as a guest. And, you know, he can be like a Sherpa on, on those greens sometimes oh, yeah. where I've had a round or two where he, it, I, it does not feel like an exaggeration to say that he saved five strokes to 10 strokes off my game, just on the putting greens. The putting's um, the bit huge on the putting greens. Yeah. I think they'll, it's they'll go up there and they'll point out where, Hey, look, it starts breaking here. No, no, no. You want to play it out three cups, not just left edge or whatever. It's big on the putting greens. Yeah. And it, it the nuance of the course matters a lot as well. If you get on one of those places with a lot of undulation and a lot of slope, 
Um, I, I, I think it's a fair statement by Rory Rec, to be honest with you. Courses with elevation change, right? Sure. So when you are, when you, if you have a range finder and uh, mine does not have the slope on it, so I shoot a number and I get 150 and I can see it's uphill and I'm over here thinking, oh, how much uphill? These guys know that. They, they've got the yardage books. They know exactly how far it is. They've got thousands and thousands of shots underneath their belt. Like it, duh. It's like if, if I played the same course every single day, I would learn the best ways to play it. These guys have watched people play it every single day. You should be taking it, their opinion into account. I hate it. I was playing with a guy once who was like kind of a jerk to the caddy and like blatantly ignoring the things that he was saying and he paid poor, played poorly. And I'm like, dude, are you, are you stupid? Like this guy is trying to be your Sherpa. Yeah. I couldn't believe no, it. No, I, 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 I don't understand that at all. If, if I get the benefit of playing with a caddy, like I'm going to utilize him to all of my abilities and, and try and get the best of him. I, I think that's, I think what Rory is talking about, Rick is a really important and underrated thing where I've heard players talk about this before in interviews where what separates, uh, I guess outside of like the best players in the world, the ROMs and and the Morikawas and, and such, but that middle tier to yeah. guys that are just on the Corn Ferry Tour, you line them all up on a range together, Rick. It's the gap is not great at all. And the Correct. reason what the reason what separates these guys is the mental game, is the course management, is that side of it. So to hear Rory speak about its importance is, I think, very telling. Here's the here's a couple of quotes. So Rory says, I think effective golf sometimes can be pretty boring, or in people's minds, it's pretty boring. I agree. Uh, he also goes on to say, playing the shot you know you can play or that you can pull off at least eight out of ten times he goes on to say, I see amateurs so much trying to play outside their comfort zone and trying to take on shots that they think they should hit instead of keeping the ball in play. Um, and then he caps it off, Andy. He says, sometimes it's, I know sometimes it's fun to take on shots you might be able to pull off, but I think it's even more fun to shoot better scores, which is kind of the point, I guess. <laughs> Rick, have you, ever, have you ever gone back and watched Tiger highlights during his prime? It is alarming how many irons he hits off the tee. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, get in play. Like, yeah. Like at, at Southern Hills, which we're going back to this year, he won the 2007 PGA at Southern Hills. And I was, I was watching some of the highlights that I could find to do some, some research on that course. Um, I think he hit driver on two or three holes out of, uh, out of, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And, and, and you would be surprised how many players will play very, very boring golf uh, that I think the amateur doesn't really think about. When you're sitting in the middle of the fairway, how often are you going at the flag and how often are you going at the middle of the green? Like, like intentionally aiming at that target. Not enough. I'm I'm thinking more towards the flag, and and the same thing is like like staying staying below the hole too yeah. is a thing that most PGA Tour players are thinking about, and amateurs aren't. And that's so what I've heard players talk about before is you work backwards, right? So players stand on the tee, and the first thing that they look at is the pin, and they think, okay what's the place that I want to be around that green, right? Like what's the mess? And they kind of work backwards from there. I don't, amateurs do not do that stuff. 
No, they don't. The other thing is I read a study that said basically if amateurs, um, whatever number they're going to hit into the green, if they just played the number to the back of the green, you're like instantly way more successful because a lot of misses are short or whether you're chunking it or something like that, or, or people will play a number that like, Oh, if I pure this or something like that, you know what I mean? And you're not puring every single club or every single shot that comes off your club face. So playing to the back of the green number in like, will shave like two strokes off immediately. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I, 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 that is like the one thing that I need to practice more is course management, right? It's, it's, I think that's what every amateur needs to focus on more because it's just, you know, it's not a priority for amateurs and, and, uh, I can relate to it completely. So I played, I played yesterday. I played, I played Summerlin yesterday and okay. I tried to say, okay, I'm going to go with the middle of these greens. Like that's like, I, I'm, I'm not looking at flag sticks. I'm going to middle of greens, and it, it, it was pretty good. I made seven pars, seven bogeys, and so 14 holes. I'm seven over. That's great for me. I'm very stoked about that at Summerlin. Um, I then made four doubles, Andy, and those four doubles could have probably been avoided mentally instead of physically, mm-hmm. taking on Did- shots that were not shots I could pull off any large percentage of the time. Do you keep your stats wreck? Like, do you record uh, fairways, greens, putts, stuff like that? I do. Yes, yeah, I do. I not too. that. That's the basic part of it. So I'll do. I, I know how many fairways and greens and putts. Um, but then I, I last summer I got the Arcos. So like mm-hmm. I got the shot by shot stuff. Sure. So yes, I'm I'm very much into keeping my own digits and and stats and things like that. Yeah, that's the uh, that changed the game for me. I think I started doing that about two years ago. But yeah, I mean that then you have at least some barometer of what you need to be working for. So I know, like, okay, what was my ten round average a year right. ago of getting up and down? Right, like, is it improving? Is it getting worse? So yeah, I am all for uh, more intelligent golf. I love it. Okay, I want to talk about Akshay which is exciting. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, a little bit of housekeeping and a little bit of weird situation with the schedule for next week. But you have to listen to this Rick Run Good ad for 30 seconds. All of the tools and data that you see me use on this channel is from my site, rickrungood.com. Rickrungood.com is one of the largest golf databases on the planet, and it's geared towards making your DFS and betting research process as efficient as possible. There are literally millions of data points in the database, and while that might sound intimidating, the tools that I've built allow you to cut through the data quickly, choose what's important to use, and even build lineups that are ready for import directly into DraftKings. Outside of that, membership gets you access to the Slack channel. Currently 2,000 run-gooders who are ready to share insights and have a little fun. I love it, and you will too. Sign up at rickrungood.com. Okay, Andy, before we jump into Akshay, Mark in the chat asks a question that comes up quite often, wants to know what our handicaps are and if you have created a goal for your handicap this year. Yeah, I'm currently at 3.7, and I'd like to get oh my down God. to zero. Are you I've been really? Play- I've been playing since I was like five years old. Oh my God. You're a 3.7. I spent my whole life playing junior tournaments. I was better at, uh, I was better at 14 years old than I am at 27. Wow. That's, that's strong, bud. I did not know that. Yeah. 
I'm impressed. I can I get it around. It. Yeah. Now I don't want to play with you anymore. No, oh, come on. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. I, I'd much rather play with better players. Um, I'm, I'm a 6.9, uh, which I was stuck I on. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, like I can get around. Yeah, like yeah. it's fine. But there's a huge difference there between, you know, 6.9 and 3.7. Um, I, I was stuck on eight for a very, very long time. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I could not get through eight. Uh, and I just recently have, as I've obviously played more and stuff like that. But um, you said going down to, I mean, going from a 3.7 to a scratch is like, it has to feel like uh, an impossible battle. Well, I've been there. I've been there before a bunch. Wow. So it doesn't, it doesn't feel as insurmountable. That was my comfortability point is like a one or a two and i just haven't been playing as much and it's dropped so it doesn't feel as insurmountable for me but you're right i think that that it's harder hmm actually this is a good question what do you think is harder to get from a six to a three or a three to a zero i mean i assume it's three to a zero it's it's would, you know handicaps yeah. are they're not logarithmic but like the you know every half it's easy to go from 20 to 15 it, going from five to zero, even though they are both five strokes, is uh, infinitely more difficult. So I would imagine uh, the answer to that question is always the one that gets you closer to zero is is the harder side of it. Yeah. How, what's a good week for you? Like how many rounds is a good week? In the summer? Um, mm-hmm. So because it's the sun comes up early and I can get out at like 6, 10 a.m., um, yeah. which is like my preferred tea time. Me too. I'll absolutely play once a week. Uh, I'll more frequently than not play twice a week. And if it's like a really, really, really great week, I'll get out three times. I'm Which about the same. That's a lot of golf. Yeah. yeah, I'm about the same. So a really good week is twice for me. Yeah. And it's usually once. And twice is a really good week. And three times is exceptional. The problem is, Rick, is if I have three hours to kill, like – I would play nine holes. Whereas in the past, when I was growing up competing, I would practice and I just don't practice anymore. Yeah, I think that's okay. I'd rather, I'd probably rather play as well. Akshay Batia wins on the Corn Ferry Tour at the ripe young age of 19. And Andy, he is now the third teen to capture victory on. The Corn Ferry Tour, and as you can imagine, the list before him is quite impressive. Jason Day did it. Sungjae Im did it. Now Akshay Batia did it. Akshay's been in our ether for a while, and generally it's because of his decision to forego college. I actually think he like wrapped up his GED from high school like in three years or something and turned pro at 17, which a lot of people at the time – questioned yeah i don't have an i don't have an issue with it i think the you know i think there's a lot to be said about competing in college right i I think this is uh you know the walker cup is something that i think is kind of like a rite of passage and a really special event as well but for the most part like i don't see any issue with it at all I, i think that you want to capitalize on your game as early as possible. And listen, you can't, you can't make money as an amateur, right. And unless you're Stuart Hagston and that's different podcast, but um, <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I, I'm completely okay with it, Rick. I, I, I like what Akshay is doing. 
I think in general, like if I were to make a broad blanket statement, I don't think that I would agree with it. I think that for most guys, it would probably be more beneficial to go to a top 20 division one school, uh, get your game in shape for, uh, you'll have access to all these unbelievable resources and uh, be able to compete. But at the same time, everybody's different, right? Like if you can go, if you, if you don't mind being lonely out there at 17, 18, 19, and you don't mind kind of grinding uh, and, and having uh, to, to get your bumps and bruises like Akshay did in his first handful of PGA tour starts. And you're okay with that mentally. Like, I don't have any problem with it. I just think if I were to make a general broad statement, I think it's for most guys, it would probably be beneficial to go to college. Okay. So I think you bring up a really good point. And the first thing that I thought about when you said that was, Matthew Wolf's comments about like, Hey, I'm 23 years old. This is weird. Like, this is really hard. I'm staying in hotels. I'm not comfortable. If I don't play good golf, I don't really feel like I have a lot of people to lean on being on the road. So often I'm away from my family. I'm away from my friends. Like, I think you raise a really good point where that transition can be really hard for some people. And, and I think, people probably glamorize the life of PGA tour players and they really are only thinking about the top, right? That the guys that are taking private jets to all these different tournaments, Bryson uh, thinks he's going to make, doesn't think he's going to make the cut and he flies back privately twice. Right. To You know, the vast majority of players, Rick, like a lot of them, they're sleeping in their cars. They're staying in motels. It's a really lonely life. So you have to like, that is a very tough adjustment. That's a really good point that I probably didn't consider completely on first thought. Yeah. And, and yeah, every guy's different. Every guy has to assess their own. It's really mental capacities. A lot of these guys are so talented. They can give it a crack and see how it goes. But um, the, the, the built-in support system of, your teammates. Uh, I mean, these col- the other thing is these colleges now, dude, are like these golf facilities are multi-million dollar, unbelievable golf facilities with great coaching and guys that have kind of paved the way and have been on the tour and can kind of give you heads ups about tips and tricks. Like I, if you would ask me 20 years ago, I'd be like, I don't care. Just turn pro. It doesn't really matter. And for some guys it might not, but it is like, the business of golf now and the business of turning pro to go to one of these top 20 colleges for golf. And, and the other thing that I heard Rory, he, Rory's talked about this before where they don't really give you a guidebook, right? Rick? No. Like, like there's not this giant orientation on the PGA tour. I guess, I think there is like something at their headquarters in Jacksonville, but it's like a PowerPoint and no one actually goes to it, but you don't get this guidebook of like, okay, here's, here's how it works. Like here's how it's supposed to go. And you'll hear a lot of other athletes talk about that as well in their respective leagues. Like I got to the NBA, I had this massive contract and I spent all of it. And I, I invested it with the wrong people. And I wish there was somebody at day one telling me like, hey, man, this is this is what you're supposed to do. Um, so, yeah, I think that is I, I it's tough. Like, do you think it's the tour's responsibility to kind of have players backs in that instance? Yes, I think. Yeah. Um... And, and and even the NBA and the NFL have just kind of started these rookie orientations more. Sure. 
like in the last like six years, like more seriously being like, no, you're going to attend this and we're going to talk about financials and we're going to talk about travel and who, who the types of people to surround yourself with. And we're going to show you the mistakes that others have made. Yeah. I think the tour is responsible. Listen, the tour wants it both ways, right? They want these guys to be independent contractors when it behooves them. And they want them to be part of a de facto union when it also behooves them. So I, I think there needs to be a more serious conversation being had and maybe maybe there's a business opportunity for this maybe there's an outside entity that can provide this to golfers but they're every different guy uh being on their own feels like a recipe for disaster for most guys i think the tour is responsible yes i agree i agree and i i you know i think what you said about co the college experience is so valuable as well like i think i think it I think about some of these programs like Oklahoma state and Stanford and guys will talk about their experience at those places um, and how important it was for them. And, and, and playing a ton of competition at the collegiate level is still, you're getting reps in against some of the best players in the world. And like I mentioned with the Walker cup as well. So, you know, it's, I think it could be a tough adjustment and that's kind of what we saw with Akshay at the beginning, right? Like last year he did not, have a good year. Um, but talent was never the question with him, Rick. Uh, Correct. And, and, you know, here we go. He's off to a fantastic start this year. And to your point earlier, talent is not really the question for a lot of these guys, right? So <laughs> exactly. I, I, I think that's the perfect way to put a bow on it. Now, I will say this, um, that win, he, he's basically got his tour card, right? That's going to end up being, as we've seen, probably enough points where he, he is going to be on the PGA Tour next season so get get used to seeing 19 year old Akshay or maybe 20 next year his swing oh he God. has so much lag wreck like yeah. the way he's such a he's kind of like a very skinny guy okay I was gonna the, say it's guess, unbelievable guess Akshay's um height and weight well he's tall right so he's very tall yeah I'm gonna say six three for okay. for height yeah he, Am I right? Okay, no, I'll give me. Okay, so if you think he's 6'3, how much do you think he weighs? <laughs> 170 pounds. Okay, so this is from um, his official PGA Tour profile, is where I'm getting this information from. Uh, he is 6'1, which actually I would have thought he was taller than that just because of how skinny he is. He looks sure. so long. 6'1, 130. Wow. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a very thin guy, and he just yeah. has these kind of like long arms and creates this torque. It's a really fun swing to watch. Yeah, him and Zalatoris, you worry about them getting blown <laughs> away sometimes in in the wind. But yeah, no, he he creates a lot of lag. He has a he has a very powerful golf swing, right? So I I think he's going to be one of those players similar to Zalatoris, where. Justin Thomas too, where they're not the biggest or strongest guys, but they're able to generate a lot of power through their speed and the lag that they create with their rotation. Um, I have high hopes for Akshay. I think he's going to be really, really good. I think it's too early to predict. Like, I don't even know yet, like what his strengths really and his weaknesses are wreck as, as a golfer. Um, but I, everything I've seen out of him, I think he's going to be a really, really good player. Four years younger than Sung J M. 
So we're going to have a 20-year-old on the PGA Tour, and it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, looking forward to next week, Andy. So let's do a little bit of housekeeping and get this back on, get this uh, all, all kind of dialed in here because the event next week, and every time I say this, someone is like, what? Next week is Wednesday to Saturday? What, next week is Wednesday to Saturday, okay? The, the, uh, the CBS broadcast is not going to compete with conference championship football. So this event ends, uh, the event at Torrey Pines ends on Saturday, which Andy, it's going to make for a weird quick turnaround this week. Obviously it's not a long trip, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, a couple, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half from basically where they're at now to, to Torrey Pines. And, um, so that's not going to be an issue, but there's going to be one less day. And then the following week, there's going to be one additional day of, of, of rest basically. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, are you having to completely change your, I feel like this is a nightmare for content creators. Uh, confirmed. <laughs> yes. Confirmed nightmare for content creators. It's basically just going to, so I, I, I was like, okay, is there some stuff that I sh just shouldn't do or should I do it on Monday or should, and I just was just like, you know what, I'm going to do basically the same amount of stuff, but instead of three days to do it, it's going to be two days, which is, it's going to be busy but uh yeah the the scheduling of it's super super wonky tokyo swan says love the wednesday start make it permanent i like it with context i think there are a couple weeks a year where it makes a lot of sense a lot of people rick look at tory pines as like the real start to the golf season right okay. like this is i I don't know if you've seen the field yet. I don't think it's official yet, but you can look at all the commitments on the website. Ton of great players, like a really, really good field. So I think in this instance, this was a smart move, but I'm, I'm during the summer when they don't have to compete with football. I like golf ending on Sundays and father's day and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm on, I'm on the record of like, I actually, so I love the idea. They're not going to compete with football. I think it's smart, but yeah. as a one one week off, like, like it's just a, an off, like one, one week, like that doesn't make as much sense for me. I actually think basically the fall, the entire fall schedule and basically up until conference championship Sunday should be Wednesday to Sunday or Wednesday yeah. to Saturday. Yeah. I like that. I could, I could definitely get behind that. Like make it, it uniform, right? It makes more sense when you're doing it week by when you're doing it every week. Right. So these guys are getting there. It's still the same. There's still four days of tournament action. Your Monday qualifiers are now Sunday qualifier. Like it, it makes, it just makes sense to do it every single week instead of one standalone week. And then you don't compete with football in the entirety of the fall. And then you get right back to it after that. And you're rocking and rolling. Yeah. I, I, uh, I really like it. I think, I think it's going to be, I make. I'm interested to see how it uh, how it works out this week with this tournament. But yeah, I agree. I think maybe if this works out well and they get the ratings that they're looking for, maybe this is something that we expand upon next year through football season. For us, it will mean we're going to do Tuesday scramble, Friday scramble, but instead of noon Eastern, we are going to do 11 a.m. Eastern. And then you and I, Andy, will be out at Torrey Pines. I'll be there Friday, Saturday. Are you coming both days? Yeah, I'll be there Friday, Saturday. So if any, you know, if any of our listeners reach out to us on Twitter or something like that, will you do a little scramble meetup? I have already gotten messages about it. So at some point okay. we will tweet out our location. <laughs> I, I, I already I already know. I, I know where I like to stand. I like to stand at two green. 
two two green to me is one of the better spots because then you can see basically the entirety of the third hole by walking just a little bit. You can see him tee off on four. You can see him come back on, I think five and then tee off on six. There's just a lot of action in that little nook where you don't have to walk a lot. Uh, so the side of T two green is like my favorite place to be. Okay. So you probably through memory already have a better beat on the property. Like I was trying to think back this morning, like what do I remember about Tory Pines? like the navigation of it because all I remember is getting frustrated, but it seems like you have a better beat on it than I remember. So I, I'll probably follow your lead. Yeah, I, I do. And uh, not, I used to, so they used to flip the nines. So when I play, when I would used to play it a lot, uh, one, one was 10 and, and vice versa. And then I think they finally fixed that. So it's like, now it all makes sense to me, but I was very confused, confused about whole numbers for a long time because I was so used to playing it one way and then the tour would come and it would be a completely different hole. But they, I think they fixed that a couple of years ago. And, and the days that we're going, it'll only be one course, right? Correct. So if you're, yes. if you're going the first two days, you've got the North and the South. We only have the South, which is the better course. So that, that will be great. Quick little Amex update before we get out of here. Rounds of the day so far. And I got to tell you, Andy, I couldn't have scripted this. Andy. This is like the best start for me. Uh, Will Zalatoris out very, very quickly, four under through five. He was the one guy lagging in my big single entry. So oh, um, Willie, let's go, baby. Uh, Ricky Fowler, three under through four, trying to get muster some energy, Ricky. Let's go. Though I could not have handpicked probably two guys. Uh, to hopefully continue their ascent up the leaderboard. Let's make it two in a row, Rick, because I my DraftKings start has been I, I just played way too much Corey Connors and completely faded Cantley. So I'm rooting for you. I know you were big on Fowler this week heading into it, right? Uh, um, yes, I'm nervous to admit that at this point. But yeah, I mean, I I, I my thoughts were if there was a time, it's now. And we're gonna learn a lot from this week. Who is your one and done again for, for our purposes? Gosh, I, I, I was Scheffler. I, I think it's Wolf, honestly. Really? Um, it might be. No, I think it was Gooch. Which okay. is, no, I'm going to get the much. same result. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Scheffler, like I said, Scheffler shot like three under La Quinta. So he's got to get busy himself. Here we go. Live, live shot here. Uh, Ricky Fowler's putting for birdie from about seven feet on 13. And he made it but that was already baked into the leaderboard so that wasn't that got exciting. it okay. yeah i'm seeing all it right. later yeah. um all right andy absolute blast bud we'll be back next tuesday it'll be 11 a.m eastern i'll mm -hmm. tweet that out and all that good stuff but uh yeah big week next week i'm looking forward to it i'm excited rick pumped to meet you in person and hang out at tory my friend and cheers buddy we'll talk again soon goodbye everybody have a good friday